So hello and welcome to another episode of A Spoonful of Recovery. As usual, just a few trigger warnings. We will be talking about symptoms of invisible illnesses, also mental health. So if you find any of those challenging, this episode might not be for you. So today I have Charlotte, who also has experience with FND. So straight over to you, Charlotte, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Hi there. So yes, I'm Charlotte. I'm 50. I'm a mum of two girls. I've got two stepchildren. So we're a blended family and I'm a grandma as well, a nana. Just for those who are listening, can you just tell us what you've been diagnosed with? Okay, so I've got FND. I'm a long-term migraine sufferer. I've also got ME, fibromyalgia, osteoarthritis. And there's a possibility that I've got rheumatoid arthritis as well, as well as um, other conditions, which (laughs) we could sit here for quite a long time talking about other things, other long-term conditions. I've got ulcerative colitis. I've got um, autoimmune conditions, basically. So I've got autoimmune diseases. So can you just tell us what your symptoms are? I know with a lot of invisible and chronic illnesses, the symptoms sometimes can change especially with FND which I'm sure we've both experienced it's like waking up and wondering what what am I going to face today can you just kind of give a bit of an overview as to what symptoms you face daily so as you've just said it's hard to know what my symptoms are daily because they really vary I was just about to say from hour to hour and it is really from hour to hour but chronic fatigue is my overwhelming everyday symptom and it's just how much fatigue I'm going to have on a daily basis really that's my biggest anxiety my that's the the thing that makes me think how am I going to manage this day this week my life at the moment that's overwhelmingly what's my biggest concern at the moment so yeah so I suffer with brain fog as you can tell because I'm like thinking now stumbling from my words um my I find word association quite difficult when I'm very fatigued so I might say I'm going upstairs but I might say I'm going up station or something else that starts with sound so it could be steps station anything similar um and often when that's really bad then that means that that my family know that I'm about to get a migraine and then my migraines could be a couple of days long would be a good one or they could be up to a week long and I don't usually take to my bed with them but sometimes I do have to take to my bed with them and my neurologist is absolutely fantastic I feel really fortunate to have her she's based at the Hallamshire Hospital and I trust her implicitly she's she was like a godsend to me having been through lots of other people who were brilliant but by their own admission weren't experts in FND until I found her and she was like just brilliant and she explained it to me like there's an umbrella which is FND and each spoke is a is a part of my FND and one of my spokes is the migraines and migraines are horrific for me yeah that's one of my my symptoms another one are my falls I fall a lot another one is I've got numbness and I've had permanent numbness from my the top of my right hip all the way down the outside right down into the foot and on the top of my foot now since 2007 
So it's a bit like when you go to the dentist and you have an injection, you know they're doing something, you can feel it, but you don't feel the pain. So I could get a pencil or a fork and stab the side of my leg and I know that I'm doing it, but I can't actually feel the pain there. Yeah. And that's why I fall. And you mentioned quite a few different illnesses. Did you get a diagnosis for all of them at the same time or was it a gradual process? A gradual process. So my migraine started in about 2006-ish. Um, maybe I had one or two when I was younger, but I think they were just migraines. I don't, you know, I think they were just like people maybe get migraines, but they became longer lasting and and having more effect on my body where they were affecting my speech and my balance and my coordinate, not just my coordination as in my balance, but the way I, I use my hands and things as well. And that was having a longer lasting effect on me for several days and things. And so my cognition as well was being affected and that, that, that was getting worse and worse as years went by. So that's been going on for a long time now. And then I noticed that I was tripping. Well, I didn't notice I was tripping up. That just kind of happened. And my family, my children, as they got older, and my husband, he said, you're falling a lot, you're stumbling a lot. And I was noticing that I was always scuffing my shoes and it used to get on my nerves. I thought, well, I'm buying ill-fitting shoes. What's the problem? And it wasn't until my kids said, mum, you're always falling. So embarrassing. What's the matter? You know. <laughs> so, um, and then I, I was starting to put all these things together myself. But I'm actually a nurse. And I've worked with people with neurological conditions for many years. I was working with the people that were having symptoms like myself. And then I started to really scare myself, um, thinking about, oh, my goodness, what on earth is happening to me? So just going on to that, when did you realise something was wrong? So and kind of go for help. So like, for example, for me, quite a few things happened and I sort of ignored it, not intentionally. But I just thought, oh, I'm being lazy. It's that time of the year. My iron is low. It's this, it's that. I didn't seek help straight away. Um, and then when I did, it was a completely different story. So when was it that you actually went to your GP or, you know, were referred to a neurologist? It was really hard at first because, because I'd got ulcerative colitis and that was diagnosed in 2000. And that was a very definite diagnosis I'd got very physical symptoms bowel symptoms and I had biopsies taken and I was given an absolute definitive um, diagnosis and then I was in and out of hospital on intravenous steroids and I was very very unwell and one of the side effects of that is chronic fatigue and I was put on I tried various medications and then I was put on a long-term immunosuppressant medication which stopped all my symptoms for many years and then by choice I decided to come off that after 10 years and when I came off that medication I noticed then that I started with all the other the other symptoms came back so at first it was believed that it was the flare-up of my ulcerative colitis so I went to the doctors and that's the route that they took it's your bowel and I kept saying it's not my bowel and they said yes but it's a side effect you know you get you get um, fatigue and you get cognition problems because of the fatigue. And I kept saying, but there's nothing wrong with my bowel. I haven't got any bowel symptoms. I kept saying it over and over. And eventually at my doctor's surgery, a locum, a lady locum GP came. And I, and I know this is really naughty and 
in hindsight, I don't regret it at all, not one bit, but I went in my nurse's uniform after work one day. And, I, you know, I've, I'm fortunate that I was able to do that because, I'm, you know, I'd lend it out to people, I tell you. <laughs> I went in in my uniform and this locum doctor, I didn't know who I was seeing. I wasn't playing a doctor against another one. And I went in and I saw this lady and she just said, oh, my goodness. She said, why has nobody pieced all these things together? She said there is something neurologically going on. She said, you've got a numb leg, you've got fatigue, you've got this, you've got that. There is nothing on your bloods at all. She said, it's nothing to do with your bowel. She said, you need referring to a neurologist urgently. And within two weeks, I was in the neurological system. And how did that make you feel that someone straight away just said, oh my God, there's actually something wrong? I burst into tears there and then. Yeah. And I just said to her, I, I, I have felt like, nobody's listening to me in fact one GP previously had had raised his voice and his tone and I'd written a formal complaint about him at the surgery and said that I I wanted it on my records on the front sheet that I would never see him ever again because he'd raised his voice where he'd even got a student GP in with him and I said if this is how you're teaching students and I suppose I am I have got a voice as a as a nurse Mm. you know and I said you well, we've all got voices, but sometimes we don't feel able to do that when we feel so ill. But I said, you know, I am a patient, but I'm also here as a looking at it from the health professional side as well. This is outrageous. How dare you? I am sitting here it, feeling extremely ill. I'm not here for the fun of it. Yeah. Got to do something. Unfortunately, that lady did. She was amazing. And now oh. I got that way. That's like refreshing to hear because usually when I interview people and I've spoken to people in like the Facebook groups that we're both in people tend to not have good experiences they're not believed for a very long time in my case that happened quite a lot and still does and we're told that it's all in our head so you get booked in with a neurologist was that within two weeks yes wow and then did that neurologist just say okay here's a diagnosis or what kind of so I, I I can't remember the um, the pattern, but I I was also very fortunate to have a good friend who was a neurology sister from one of the neurology wards at the Hallamshire, and she was also on her days off. She was walking my dog for me because she was watching my symptoms, and she said, "You're not you're not safe." And I knew I wasn't safe to walk my dog, and I wasn't safe to do a lot of things, and I was cutting down, and she also had a dog similar to mine that needed a lot of exercise so she offered to take my dog out a couple of times a week (laughs) so she came with me to the Hallamshire to see the neurologist because she knew a lot of them anyway and she just said I'm coming as a friend but I also will understand a lot of stuff and I'll be able to remember things for you and prompt you and we're talking just before well about a year before the pandemic set in that the investigation started so at that point you could have somebody go with you to investigations and things and an MRI was ordered when the results of that were that they saw two marks on my brain but they couldn't decide what they were they said they were insignificant I mean to me that's significant that they've seen something on my brain you know it's okay to say to somebody we've seen we've seen two marks on your brain but they're insignificant really you're like what does that even mean yeah, 47 for 46 probably at the time it's like really but nothing on my spine and you know the the neurologist he was 
he was very thorough he was fantastic but at that time they were looking at whether they thought it might be um ms or parkinson's and to be honest i i also thought it was well i probably thought it was ms and my gp thought it was ms my gp said to me i believe you've got ms mm. so i had those and i was backwards and forwards a few times to the hallamshire and then after I'd got the results and they just found those insignificant things on the brain, then when I went back, oh, yes, when I went back that final time for the results, I saw a registrar and the actual professor, the consultant I was under at the time, he was in the room next door. And this registrar <laughs> said to me, now, there's nothing, we can't find anything wrong with you. Um, I'm just wondering whether you've been on Dr. Google and what it is you think you've got. Well, if I would like to tell you that at that point, I could quite frankly have got my hands around his neck and <laughs> rottled him. And I had to almost hold my friend down in her chair. Her eyes were nearly popping out of the face. And I just said to him, I can assure you that none of us would ever, ever put ourselves in this position, ever And I just said to him, I have been falling. I can't speak. I'm vomiting with pain in my head at times. I said, I've got um, a husband that I can't even talk to. And I just went, I went through everything. I went right down to basics. I said, I have to ask my children to help me get out of the bath. I have to ask my husband to take my socks and my underwear off. I said, it is so humiliating. And he just sat there and looked at me. I said, I don't want to continue this consultation with you anymore. I said, I want to see the professor now. Yeah. good. And again, again, I'm empowered to do that because I know that I'm able to, but all the time I'm thinking, what does anybody else do? Yeah. So many people would have just listened to him, been highly offended and walked out. But I just thought you are not getting away with that. How dare you? I was enraged and you can hear me now saying it. I'm I'm still enraged that he said that. Yeah, it just doesn't just go away though does it and just going on to that so I had a similar experience where my GP raised his voice at me I didn't know what to do my neurologist basically said try harder I went to A&E and was humiliated and laughed at and told that making it up you know it's psychological like why do you keep coming here what do you want us to do for those who have these experiences but don't feel empowered what can they do I think if you don't feel able at the time to do anything about it, I think the best thing to do is to contact PALS afterwards, a patient advisory liaison service. They're there for the public to act on your behalf, to go to, the, to for example, that registrar and say, we've had a, a report of this incident on this day at this consultation. You don't even have to write in your complaint, a telephone communication with them is enough for them to act on your behalf and I would urge everybody who is unhappy with any type of behavior from any health professional to phone pick up the phone to switchboard at your local hospital or, or wherever and just say can I speak to pals please that's all you have to ask for or the patient liaison service and honestly they are so helpful they really I mean, I've, I've used them on behalf of my daughter she's also got long-term conditions and she's had a recent incident in a completely different and it was just dealt with so quickly we thought we're going to squash this immediately before it 
escalates because it escalates in your mind apart from anything else even if the issue is tiny just deal with it straight away and sometimes it's lack of education as it was in my daughter's case the person she was dealing with it was lack of education for the person that the member of staff for this registrar in in my opinion he was just arrogant ignorant and downright rude so the professor then came in and he dealt with the, the he took over and he was fantastic I think, yeah, for, for me, I grew up very healthy. No one in my family has really been ill. So I didn't even really know who my GP was. And then I'm there going, I'm ringing at 8.30, battling for an appointment. I didn't even know that we were doing this. I had a very privileged, healthy sort of life. And then I got humiliated, the way I was looked at, the way I was mocked. I got to a point where everyone was like, are you sure that happened? And if that happened, like, you know, if they're saying that, you know, you're all right why are you making a big deal out of it attention seeker and I felt very powerless and didn't actually know that I could go to pals until my friend pointed it out to me and said do you, do you know about pals and I said no no idea um, and then I ended up documenting quite a lot of my stuff I really wish I'd recorded the way my GP spoke at me um, the way he just raised his voice and shouted at me because when I tell people they're like oh my god I can't believe you went through all this but when you've been going through something like that, you almost feel like there's already so much to go yeah. and deal with. How can I deal with more? So do you recommend people should document stuff as well? Definitely. And the problem is that when you, when you go to the doctors about these issues, especially issues such as FND, that a lot of the health professionals are not as clued up on about, you feel vulnerable anyway. I feel vulnerable. And I'm in, I do feel fortunate that I am quite empowered because of my health professional background. But I still feel really vulnerable when I step into the GP surgery. And I'm talking about my FND. And my GPs are fantastic. I've got two GPs who are really clued up on FND. So I'm really fortunate. So you go, you step in because you don't feel well. And then we forget to document, don't we? So I think it's really, and, and you feel ill anyway, so you don't always document. So it's about being disciplined, isn't it? To try and do it, just even if you just write a couple of notes so that afterwards you can make more notes. Or I know we can't take somebody in with us at the moment, but telling somebody afterwards so that they can write notes for you. It's, it's just documented in some way. I got to a point where I was like, because I hope to make a documentary at some point, but I started filming before and after because I found it hard to write down and process the information. I was just verbally going, he's just said this to me and this has happened and he's just told me, you know, and then I'd look back and be like, oh yeah, this is, this is going on, right, okay. So I've got it somewhere. But there are moments where I think, oh, I really wish I'd done more, but I was just too busy dropping on the floor trying to survive, but I really wish... At that time, I could have said something back, whereas now I'm always like armed. <laughs> yeah. And it, the thing is, it affects your mental health as well, doesn't it? Because even if at the time you haven't got um, a low mood or you're not an anxious person or anything, the mere fact that somebody raises their voice at you, mm. it's absolutely horrific. It, it's horrendous, isn't it? Because there's, there is this kind of rightly or wrongly and we'll not start talking now about the politics of health and and social politics of health but there is this hierarchy of GP and patient and that you know as I say that isn't 
right, but there is some hierarchy there. And then they start using some kind of assertive language or tone of voice. And it's like, oh my goodness, it, it's it's horrendous. Yeah, it's horrible. I think even the way that I was sat down at A&E and put into a corner and been like, the um, staff member was like, what's this anxiety you've got? I think it's just all in your head. And I don't think you even need an MRI. And I was like, this is my first experience of my life coming to a &E. I must have been 29 at the time or just turned 30. And I was like, no, is this how you treat people? I thought I, I was coming here and you were going to help me. You're either going to tell me what's wrong or that I'm going to die. Mm -hmm. However, I didn't ex expect someone to make me walk up and down and humiliate me and have people laugh at me. Like I was just so traumatized by that, that I just thought if I die, I'd rather die at home and it's a shame that so many of us feel that way about things like that speaking about mental health how does it affect you mentally I am I am a very positive person there have been a lot of things in my life which have affected me more mm. um I I was bereaved. My first husband died when I was in my 30s. So there are other things which have affected my mental health in other ways. So my, my health has kind of taken the back burner. And in, I was fortunate in a way that my neurologist didn't say to me, well, that's the cause of your FND, if you like. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes with FND, um, it can be attributed, rightly so, to things that I'm not saying that psychological reasons are the only reasons for FND, the certain most definitely not, but sometimes they can, the psychological traumas of the past can affect the way our physical, yeah. we physically react is what I'm trying to say. So mentally, what I'm trying to say, I suppose, is that mentally I've dealt with a lot of other things in the past. So dealing with this is like, shit happens, you know, yeah. and yeah. Um, it's just another thing, another blow in my life to be honest, it is how I've dealt with it. Also, I am a person of faith and I do live my life li living that way. And while I don't believe that um, God, any God of any um, denomination or any religion sends illness to anybody, because I firmly don't believe that, my faith definitely helps me cope with what I've got. Do you see it as more of a bit of a test that you're being tested with this illness oh I'm definitely tested <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely tested yeah yeah definitely tested and yeah blimey it's hard it, it's it's really flipping hard it, it's horrendous and and some days you can't even talk about it can you you're all on getting up but um a long time ago I set myself a um a kind of like a personal target that even on the worst days I would get up brush my teeth brush my hair and put the tiniest bit of makeup on and do you know what I'm I have managed to do that every single day every day even if then I got back in bed yeah. and for me that has been really important because it's what makes me me. Now, some people will listen and think, well, that's just ridiculous. I can't possibly do that. That's fine. They, their achievement is something different. And, but that for me, that just makes me feel like me. Yeah. I think finding what works for you, because I remember joining Facebook groups 
and I was bed bound and I was broken and I was ready to call it a day and I was like I don't want to be on the planet I don't deserve to be I'm, there's no point and then I remember someone just saying well what did you do before and I was like well I traveled the world I hiked I can't do anything and someone said to me well why don't you do tai chi and I was like I can't get out of bed you should understand and it was almost like I was getting really agitated but when I started to accept that I was ill I just said okay you love reading books okay make a photo collage of your travels I'm not going to travel again for maybe a long time at that distance but have a look at stuff and not resent it and then like you you know I was like skincare I was like regardless of how I feel my skincare routine will not change I will get up and floss and yeah and even if I do drop on the floor that day or just lay back down I've done that little thing and it's probably something that healthy people will look at and think oh is that it but where our bodies are different and we're having to use energy and preserve it so I think yeah any little mini goals can be helpful for yeah. a lot of people and I have to say when I messaged you and we kind of virtually spoke I was at crisis point and you said to me no your worth is you know your life is worth living and change your medical practice and I never have thought of that I was like I'm stuck with this GP and you were like just change your medical practice just start there and then I changed and I was like my GPs believe me <laughs> they don't know what's wrong but they've referred me <laughs> and I was like literally crying because I was like someone actually believes me and yeah. they were like there's there's something wrong but we don't know what it is and I and I was just so overwhelmed so having people who understand can actually help you certain yeah. things as well so that was really helpful I was just going to say yeah I, I distinctly remember the first like few weeks that we connected and that we were talking virtually and like the desperation that was coming from you and I was like oh my goodness like just desperately wanting to reach out and help you because it was just so desperate you yeah. know I could feel it and like she's got to change her GP because it's like oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think when you're told for months, it's in your head and everyone around you is going, it's in your head. You almost think, should I be in a psych ward? Because everyone's telling me I'm, a, I'm not okay. And I think this is what drives me to raise awareness is that I don't want anyone to ever feel that way or feel isolated, regardless of what everyone else is telling you, you still have the right to change a GP. Okay, your friends and family may not always understand, but there are people out there who do. And in, if enough of us can raise our voices, then surely FND can be recognised. What do you think needs to be done to raise awareness, predominantly about FND? Because I'd say it's the most unrecognised out of all of them. It's a hard one, isn't it? And I've been thinking about that this afternoon about just what can we do to let people know about it. As you know, as all the neurologists say, it's the most common neurological illness you've never heard about and I mean I just tell personally I just tell everybody about it I tell my friends my family um I don't particularly have work colleagues anymore because unfortunately I've had to give my permanent job up I suppose when it's FND awareness week or month um it's sticking together like 
us chef little the little sheffield group that we've made yeah. we need we need to get out there we need to get out into the press now into the media and we need to speak and be bold enough to do it and, and and brave enough to just say you know this is us this is what this is what we do and and this is what we've got and and I'm I'm absolutely convinced that loads of people will say that's me yeah as well and and just tell people about it really uh, I I just don't know to be honest it's because yeah. like you say until you've got until you've given that diagnosis people haven't heard of it have they yeah I think I kind of, I sort of understood ME a little bit, like Lyme's disease, chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, sort of understood those. MS I understood because of the TV shows that I've watched featured in there. Mm-hmm. However, FND, I don't think I've ever heard of, but I'm watching Home and Away at the moment and there's someone with a neurological condition. And I think if I was watching that before having FND, when the GP saying to her, oh, it's in your head, so what if you can't feel your legs? It's all psychological. I would have been like, yeah, it probably is, isn't it? Whereas now I'm going, help this woman. You need to help her. So obviously my mindset's changed. And I think at the start I did blame a lot of people. I didn't tell people, but then when I told them, I found it really hard that they weren't understanding. So I've tried to be a bit more lenient and think well if they haven't got it it's hard to explain to them that one day I wake up and I drop on the floor continuously I have seizures and I have this and that and sometimes I have sensory problems to them they're just being like go to sleep earlier then if you're tired and you're just like not what it's all about so I've kind of stopped explaining it now to people did you tell friends and family straight away I mean my my closest friends Obviously, I've seen me deteriorate and things change. And I've been sort of filling them in as I've been going along, the, you know, for the tests and investigations and things. And then I've been filling them in. And other people have asked me questions whenever I've posted anything. I don't, I go through fits and spells about posting things on Facebook or Instagram. As to, I, I find social media a bit, I, I don't like putting myself out there normally so you know so yeah it's it's a hard one really but I do and then to go out go on social media to then say oh by the way I've got this I I don't want the sympathy vote either so it's it's hard really to tell people but as and when I've been meeting up with people and who I haven't seen for a while which obviously at this in this current season of time that we're in that's happening more isn't it that we're meeting up with people we haven't seen for a while when they're saying how have you been then I am being honest now and saying well I've been diagnosed with a neurological condition and for some of them I'll leave it at that I just think actually I know that they're not going to listen fully to everything that's been said so I just say I've got a neurological condition and if they ask me what I just say oh it's it's um to do with the wiring yeah discuss over the about the confusion with the wiring and use that analogy about the the computer and the hard hardware and the software and that because that's quite a good one really and um and for other people I tell them more about it and yeah you know because it is me isn't it and then yeah just play it by ear really yeah I think you find out who your friends are (laughs) straight away as soon as you do this and they're just like oh yeah no um so you don't want to go out last minute okay then see you and you're not hearing from them for two years it's like okay that's Mm -hmm. bye um so 
say if someone's been diagnosed with FND and given a website, the famous website everyone's pretty much given and told to go home and be positive, and they're not really feeling heard, what would you say they need to do to help themselves? Well, I think the best thing to do is to keep in touch with their neurologist to, because that, yeah, and to try and make sure they've got an FND neurologist and feel empowered, you know, you don't be scared to push with the NHS, just push, push, push. The worst that can happen is they say, no, it's not available in your area. So if you've got a general neurologist and they say, you've got FND, here's here's your website, cheerio, happy reading. Absolutely not. I want an FND specialist. And even if you have to travel 50 miles for one, then if you can and you are able to travel 50 miles to see one, even if it's just for, you know, a couple of visits, because it's definitely worth it for their expertise. So I would try and do that. I would try and get some support. Like we've made our small support group between us in Sheffield. I think that that is really, really helpful to have a group of people who completely get it that you can quickly have a chat. Sometimes we don't speak for weeks and sometimes we speak several times a day for several days in a row. And the support is absolutely fantastic. It has been brilliant. You know, I feel rubbish. Why, what's up? I can't get out of bed for a couple of days. You know, somebody that completely gets it and understands it, it's amazing. So get yourself some support. And also um, the charities are great the FND hope stuff I have found really useful and I would also I sent all my immediate family some of the charity information as well so that they could get reading and I asked them to read it and I, I know that most of my family did read it as well and I also gave it to my best friends my two best friends and just said to them look this is what I've got you won't have heard of it so please yeah, read, it. read this yeah shout out to Katie and Abby as well um, because it's good to just say oh I'm having problems with this or which neurologist are you speaking to and what do you do in this scenario mm-hmm. your friends and family who might mean well just may not get it <laughs> they're not going to understand why maybe your arm can move but the rest of your body can't and you feel slightly paralyzed so yeah definitely as much support as you can get anything else that you want to mention before we wrap up and I was just going to say about work, really, because um, I'm 50 now and I came to Sheffield at 18 from the south of England and um, and I'm a nurse and I came here, did my training and I stayed here and kind of nursing just runs through me. And it's, it's what I do, it's what I've always done. And I thought I would carry on doing that for many, many more years. But I, my neurologist advised me to give up work because she could see that it not being a nurse was going to finish me off but she basically said you have to stop you're making yourself very unwell you you have got to give up work and I ignored her and I continued with the migraines and I got really I was having like three and four and five day long migraines and work was very very stressful this is during the pandemic and I was going to be redeployed for the fifth time and I went back to see the neurologist on a routine appointment and she said have you have you, the neurologist said have you um given up work and I said no and uh, she said why not and I said because you know I I just gave her all these excuses why I'd not given up work 
and you know very valid ones financial reasons why I'm not giving up work and she said well I understand about your finances she said I genuinely do understand but she said you are these migraines I'm I'm just concerned that you're going to have a serious neurological event is what she said so I just said okay okay anyway I still didn't give up work and two weeks well you know I didn't I was like thinking about it. I said, okay, I'll think about it. And two weeks later, I was told that I was going to be redeployed. That's when I was told I was going to be redeployed for the fifth time. And I went home and had a five day long migraine. And when I recovered from that, I got out of bed and I said to my husband, I had him a notice in. And from that day on, I've had two tiny half day migraines, never had another one. And so I, I'm now like running two small businesses myself, which is quite scary when you've had the protection of the nhs to work for um and yes money is a lot lot tighter and things are very different but what i would say is that sometimes when you are at the mercy of a long-term condition it seems really scary to give up your job and step out of the comfort of your of your working environment and like it's making me feel quite emotional saying it but you know, I was very protected in that environment, protected annual leave, were protected wages, whether I was off sick or not. And I've had, I've completely come out of that. And if I don't go to work, I don't get paid. And, and it's very, very scary, but I have never been so well ever. Wow. So what I would say to people is just try it. Yeah. If you're advised to do something by the neurologist and it feels scary, sometimes, sometimes they know what they're talking about yeah what are the two businesses that you're running so um I've trained to be a three-step rewind practitioner and that is um somebody that three-step rewind is for people who've suffered trauma um and um it's not counseling but um it's a process it's NLP neuro-linguistic um process so if you've had a a trauma um it helps you reprocess those memories um, so that you're not as troubled or trying to summarize it really quickly for you but basically if you've got a, a memory that is really you, you're struggling with and you want to change the way that that memory is affecting you then um yeah three-step rewind is is the way to go so i've got a, a business called rewind with lottie and i'm also i've trained during the pandemic to be a doula so work with postnatal women Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, and I have to agree with you. I've had to, well, I'm still in the process of closing my old business down that I would have made it to five years. It enabled me to travel. It gave me such a great life, a very privileged one, but I just couldn't get up and deliver 13 presentations a week. It wasn't possible. And then I've set up a new business to raise awareness that I'm actually more excited and motivated about. It sounds bad, but I just regardless of how I'm feeling I'm a bit more disciplined and I'm just like if I'm in bed then I'll just record a podcast if I do this this and that and I'm putting myself out there more and talking to more people whereas I just stuck to my industry so this has enabled me to talk to so many people as well um so there can be silver linings absolutely thank you so much Charlotte for joining me and hopefully people will be able to take quite a lot away from that so thank you so much You're very welcome. Lovely to talk to you.